we also don't take ourselves too seriously. It's much easier to do for a smaller team, I think, than it is for a bigger organization. We joke about it as well, you know, because you can't be 100% all the time, but that in itself helps build the culture. I'm John Fitzgerald, host of the Cord Podcast. I'm curious about the changing world of work. I want to have conversations that will help us all become future ready. Hi, everybody, and you're very welcome back to the Cord Podcast. Today, I want to focus on how to leverage our business brand to make a more purposeful connection and sustainable link with our customers. Why? Because for the future of work, we now live, as we know, in a hyper-connected digital world. And the challenge for many businesses, whether you're a traditional organization or a new startup, is to differentiate yourself in the marketplace. And we know business models have been turned upside down in the past two years, as we've all had to adapt to new ways of doing business. The pace of change is accelerating, and we need to look at how we link brand and purpose to make our promise real. So I know our guest today will provide fascinating insight for you. So we traveled east all the way to Hong Kong to find Stephen Barry. And Stephen heads up an international branding agency. He's worked across all sectors with large multinationals and smaller niche businesses. And uh, one of his clients I see is a financial services group founded and chaired by Jack May of Alibaba, the world's largest retailer and e-commerce company and probably one of the wealthiest guys in the world as well. So today I want to hear from Stephen, as I believe his own niche business, Stepworks, is ahead of the pack in creating a microculture that sets them apart from their larger global competitors. And Stephen has helped many businesses across the globe undergoing change to gain valuable competitive advantages from their brand-led, digitally-focused approach. I was introduced to Stephen through Harmonic's global partners in Hong Kong, Trevor Smith, whose business, The Orchard Partnership. And uh, I want to give a shout out to Trevor and quote his famous Chinese proverb, if you want to know the road ahead, ask those coming back, which I think sets us up well for our chat today. So you're very welcome to the podcast, Stephen. Thank you, John. It's great to be chatting with you. And I suppose we had a pre-chat a number of weeks ago, and I made the assumption uh, which uh, was incorrect at the time. Stephen Barry must have some link with Ireland. So you might just start with the name Stephen Barry and uh, where that came from. Sure. Okay. So my family on my father's side, actually, in the 1700s uh, or thereabouts, used to come from modern day, well, they, they came from Persia and they traded in dried fruit. And there were trade uh, across Europe and into Britain. And they, part of the family actually moved there. And the family name at the time was Bahari. And in order to fit in better, uh, they changed the name to Barry. So that's where my surname comes from. <laughs> yeah, because automatically people from here would think you might be from a Cork or Kerry background with a surname like Barry. Right. <laughs> yeah, so maybe before we start, I, I always like to get into, you know, the formative years and your own influences growing up and a little bit about you and uh, who you were in, in growing up and, and coming into the world. Mm hmm. OK, so would you like me to tell you a little bit about my early years? Should I jump straight into that? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. OK, good. So, yeah, so I'm from a um, sort of mixed race background. My father's from the UK. Uh, my mum is from Taiwan. And they met in the late 60s when my father was an entertainer. They, they actually met while my mum was in the audience. They, they met each other 
fell in love and decided to get married five days later. And um, so, you know, something that might make for a good Netflix series one day. Um, but, you know, I grew up in Hong Kong and I have a total of four siblings. And we, you know, growing up, we would have uh, foster siblings as well that would join us. And uh, it was in the early years, my parents ran a restaurant and it was things weren't easy. So everyone had to muck in, get things done. And I think this mindset of getting things done um, and improvising has served me very well that I picked up from my parents. And probably not early years, but, you know, one of the uh, formative experiences I had was volunteer work that I did in the early 90s uh, when I was still at university or art college, actually, which was traveling to Romania with a Christian youth group volunteering in an orphanage at the time and just seeing the suffering that a lot of these children went through and that was a real eye-opener for me and being acutely aware of the many people that that went through life you know that weren't as lucky in terms of where they were born the time that they were born and you know that made me want to help you know what whatever it is that I ended up doing which I knew would be something in, in art and design but to want to be able to make work meaningful and help those less fortunate so those are kind of formative experiences that were, were really eye-opening at the time. Really interesting. And uh, obviously growing up in a very much a service-led industry like restaurants and then going into art mm. and that transitioning to business. So talk to me about that transition from art school to business. Funnily enough, you know, when I was at art school, which was three years in the UK, actually, so in Cornwall then in, in Devon in Plymouth, it was almost too easy. It was a little bit too much of a stereotypical art student experience. But I do remember that there were a few lessons that were almost, you know, just an add-on that taught you how to calculate your rate as a freelancer and the commercial side of it. And that I found very, very interesting. And when I graduated and came back to Hong Kong, I worked for two months in a very small design studio, which paradoxically taught me everything of how not to run a business, <laughs> you know, how not to do things. Because um, my first day I worked, I worked until midnight. The second day, I, which was a Tuesday, I worked until midnight of Wednesday. And, you know, that only lasted for two months. So very quickly, I started doing, I became a freelancer and doing work on my own and having to figure out the business side of things. And this led me to start the business, really, because back then I would just take on Work. I was very lucky. One of my first clients was KPMG. So even back then, uh, we had some large global brand names and just being very fortunate, the right place at the right time, perhaps. And people give, taking a punt on me, giving me the opportunity to do stuff. I started the business then in hiring someone, a good friend of mine, Scott Fielding, actually, a, a school friend of mine. When we were in art college together, he came over to Hong Kong. And after doing that, after hiring someone, I realized, hang on a minute, you can't just go and hire someone. You need to open a company, you have to do all this. So really learning things um, by trial and error and a lot of error. And isn't that interesting? I mean, you tell a story that's probably similar to my own story in starting up harmonics. You find one person who gives you an opportunity and a chance to make a difference. What was it about you that they took a punt on you? I mean, KPMG is not a small client to take a punt on, on somebody like yourself. That's true. So, um, well, the story was a little bit more, far, uh, a little bit further removed, actually. 
and I would be serving a conference organizer. So it was actually the conference organizer who gave us the opportunity to work on this. And I think a lot of it came down to me being enthusiastic and young and something that I keep telling my children and you know, from time to time we'll have students come up to our studio to learn more about us and the advice that I give them is, you know, take advantage of your youth because when you're young and you're enthusiastic, people have a lot of patience for you and they're willing to give you the opportunity. So I think I was lucky in that way. Excellent. So your work today then, talk to me about what you do at Stepwork and I suppose the support that you provide to organizations and helping them to position themselves. Yeah. Okay. So clients generally come to us when they want change, either change is forced upon them or there is a need to change with the times for the business, or it might be because of an acquisition, which is what happened with the Jack Ma uh, linked company that you spoke about earlier. Um, and so it's always about change. And for us, we've built a track record of creating lasting positive change in the organizations that we work with by helping them articulate what their societal purpose is, how they should be positioned in the market, finding this point of distinction. So we talked about the important, you know, you mentioned the importance of um, differentiating a company. So that's part of it. It's, you know, kind of going beyond differentiating them. It's helping them be distinct. So you need to be distinct in order to be remembered. And if you're not remembered, then a company is not even in the consideration set. So, we, you know, we work to help companies be more easily recalled and then clarifying their values and how they express themselves through design, words, images, etc. So it's part of what makes an organization. It's not everything. It's an important part. So I'll just come in here and I think societal purpose, organizations are really, you know, challenged at the moment in trying to make that connection with their customers. And I think that societal purpose is going to be huge going into the future. And any tips or hints in how we can, as you say, distinguish ourselves and make ourselves distinct or maybe some examples of how you've helped organizations to do that? Because I think our listeners are looking for ways to distinguish, to stand out in this changing market. And everything is, as I say, is is changing so fast. I mean, how often do you need to do this? There's so many questions around it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's such a big topic that it would be a series on its own, probably, because there's so many different dimensions to it. But the basics of it would be it's all about alignment. It's aligning what the organization thinks, says, does, how it expresses itself. The societal purpose of it has to be true. You know, if the underlying business is only about creating shareholder value, it's only about making money then it's probably best not to even touch on the societal aspect of it because it needs to be authentic. People will find out. Do you find that that is, you get a kind of a pushback from senior leadership teams who are just driving for shareholder value and you're trying to talk to them about societal purpose? Where have you found the challenges in the boardroom around that? Yeah, so I'd say five years ago, yes, that kind of pushback would come a lot more often. But nowadays, hardly ever, because there's a lot of evidence around how purpose-driven organizations outperform. So there's that Jim Collins uh, sort of classic business book, From Good to Great, which is quite old now. I think it must have been around for over 10 years. 
but they did track a whole bunch of listed companies over a period of time. And those who were purpose-driven, who had a higher purpose, they do outperform. And one thing that's quite interesting is I think where business, what, what we're seeing is anyway, in the leaders that we talk to, businesses from yesterday, they would be more focused on just the top line value, but now it's more about stakeholder value. And the businesses are almost run as a social enterprise. So, um, you know, they would have to be able to contribute something to society. And by doing so, you know, not only is it the right thing to do, it's also um, makes it more attractive to shareholders, especially now with all the ESG investing, the green investing, and also helps them get the best talent because people want their lives to be meaningful and they want to work towards a higher purpose. Yeah. And the company can be a vehicle for that. And can you explain your process and how you work with organizations to come to that new definition of who they are? Sure. Very often, it's not really about creating a new definition of who they are. It's more about articulating what they already have and getting rid of the noise. Um, So we have a framework that we call the brand model, and we look at the different dimensions of the brand, starting from the societal purpose, how the brand is positioned, and in positioning, we look at different levels. So what's the overall category? And sometimes the category itself could be different and you have your points of parity. So most companies now talk about how innovative they are, how sustainability is a big part of what they do. So these, although they're really important, it's what we typically would call hygiene factors. So you need to talk about them, but everyone's talking about them and you wouldn't stand out in that way. And then some kind of point of distinction. And this is what is it that sets the company apart. And this is really important because it has to be real. And ideally, it's the white space amongst the competition. So if you can figure that part out, it's also very helpful. And then we look at the promise because every single organization basically makes a promise to their audience, their customer group, and that promise is seen as a value proposition from them. And then you work really hard to make that promise come true. And that's what builds your reputation, which is another way of saying it's what builds your brand. So those are the main building blocks. I want to ask you a quick question. Is your organization going through unprecedented growth, restructuring or change? At Harmonix, through our consultancy and coaching work with business and HR leaders, we face one common challenge, the overwhelming pace of change and not enough time or resources to properly reset to become future fit. If you would like to register for a free diagnostic session with one of our team of experts, go to harmonics.ie to get in touch today. Now, back to the podcast. And just to use your own business as an example, because I talked about you creating a microculture, talk to me about your own journey as a business and trying to stand apart from others in, I'm sure, a very globally competitive space that you're operating in. Yeah, so for us, I think, It goes back to the very early years. You know, you asked me, how did the business get started? And we basically got a break because people were, uh, gave us, gave me the opportunity. And a lot of that came from enthusiasm, right? So another way of saying that is wholehearted. So when we came to working on our own brand and we would survey our customers and, and say, you know, for them to give us a perception of reality, how do they see us? And it always came back to our attitude that we would be wholehearted in our approach. So uh, the hygiene factors that I mentioned just now in our brand model framework, 
you know, with there lots of companies out there that are extremely creative, they're strategic, they're smart, they're good at digital, but what makes us different is that wholehearted approach. And my business partners and I, we've been working together on average for at least 20 years each, which is very, very unusual in this sector. It's kind of like the finance sector in that people move around quite a lot. So we're fortunate in that we have this huge amount of knowledge that we've got together and this wholehearted attitude. And that comes through in our own culture as well, being wholehearted, you know, that we're there for our colleagues and we build that trust. And how do you do that? I mean, it's fine to say you're wholehearted, but <laughs> for anybody with a small business like ourselves or whatever, who are, you know, competing and uh, it's great mm. to go in and say we're wholehearted and, and people would say that about sure. us. We have a great attitude and we're enthusiastic and we're super. Yeah. But, you know, how do you make that real? <laughs> so for us, I mean, it was already there to begin with and we've cultivated that. You know, we're just always there for each other. There have been times when we've had colleagues that, you know, maybe some of their family members haven't been too well in terms of bad health, and we've supported them from behind the scenes. So we've built that over time, you know, that trust. And we also don't take ourselves too seriously. It's much easier to do for a smaller team, I think, than it is for a bigger organization. We joke about it as well, you know, because you can't be 100% all the time. But that in itself helps build the culture. And with remote and hybrid as well, I suppose, you know, that, that's obviously challenged lots of people in trying to keep that connection. It has, but we do have something that we do every day. So we're mainly working from home now with the pandemic situation the way it is in Hong Kong. So we have a daily check-in every morning at 9.30. So everyone dials in at the same time. And we would run, it's usually a 15-minute meeting only where we run through everything that we have ongoing on the day that we need to update everyone. And it just brings the team together and, and we'll take turns in leading that meeting. So every person on the team gets to have a go, uh, whether you're an, an extrovert or introvert, and we'll go at the pace of the slowest member of the team. And we will do what we call a daily wow. So every person gets to share a five-minute presentation on an interesting topic. It might be on wellness. It might be something skills-based. It might be some amazing brand campaign that we can all learn from or even mistakes that have happened. You know, we might talk about something that didn't go the way that we wanted and what's the learning from that. So fostering this growth mindset. But, and that in itself is very wholehearted. So that's how we've done it. And it has to be real. And of course, this we talk about this a lot on our website and in our recruitment process, we'll try and find people that also enjoy being in a wholehearted environment and are wholehearted in themselves and continue to foster that, I guess. And how do you retain talent then and develop? You're obviously developing a great you know, learning culture there, but have you any particular guides around that? That's a great question. And for years, you know, we would work very hard to retain talent. But the reality is we are a small team and not everyone wants to stay within the same environment all their lives. So people, you know, it's only natural for people to want to move on and try different things. And we want the best for our people. And sometimes the opportunities they seek may not be available within our own environment. So we've embraced this approach of, making Setworks a great place to be at, but also a great place to be from. And when we have our catch-ups with our colleagues, so we don't have annual appraisals anymore. We've stopped doing that for quite a few years now. We have monthly catch-ups, which 
in reality happen more like every couple of months. But, you know, we do keep the momentum going and see, you know, making sure that people are happy. And if they are looking for other opportunities, we'll also see how, what we can do to help them get there. And, and it's an approach that's worked out really well because what happens most of the time is that colleagues who are moving on, they want to leave behind their legacy within the Stepworks team. So they'll also help with the interview process of their successor and, and make that transition really smooth. And I think that in itself is wholehearted, you know, we're being wholehearted towards our, our own colleagues and that works that good for everyone. I think that's a refreshing honesty and an approach that talent don't stay forever. And uh, there is this commitment to uh, succession planning, even though people are transitioning out. And uh, that speaks volumes for your culture. Just in relation to, you know, maybe HR people who are listening here and talking, you know, I'm talking HR directors and they would be looking at the employer value proposition and how to attract that talent and how to develop them. Have you, you know, worked on any projects with some of your larger clients and maybe some examples there of how the work that you've done has helped them? That's a really good question. I think I can't think of any business that we've worked with where attracting talent and talent retention isn't a top level issue. That always comes as one of the strategic asks and objectives of a of a branding or rebrand exercise and it's really looking at what's in it for them so making sure that the company can offer opportunities that that are valuable those uh, to the talent depending on what stage of the career they're at and so there's only so much that we can do from the branding side and we need to be uh, honest and so much of it comes through word of mouth what we, you know, the branding component part of it is really to get people to send in their CVs, you know, to make the company look attractive. But beyond that, I think over in Europe, more than in Hong Kong, there would be platforms like Glassdoor, you know, it's the reputation around that. It's just the word of mouth through hearsay. That's, those are really important factors. And it's really the actual policies uh, that are going to make a much bigger difference the amount of leave offered, the amount of flexibility. We're seeing that people just want a lot more flexibility. So uh, life balance, being able to switch off after hours, perhaps moving towards a shorter work week. These kind of things are what's going to make it more attractive. And that brings us into, I suppose, the human being rather than, you know, human resources. And uh, I think it's so important now to think about that and HR are getting so busy in this whole recruitment phase and trying to bring people in, getting that white space to think strategically about how they help people and humans. Uh, how have you experienced that in, you know, obviously the onset of cultural diversity and us being humans? What's your view on that? We're so lucky in our work that we get to touch on so many different industries. And one of the industries that we're working in at the moment is an NGO that serves people that have been through the justice system. And we're learning so much from that project, you know, because it's helping people reintegrate into society and whatnot, but it's helped us learn so much about ourselves as well. And I think, you know, diversity is a fact, you know, diverse boards, diverse teams in all aspects, whether it's gender or cultural backgrounds, you know, is healthy, having these different viewpoints. And inclusion is the action that we want people to take. But this sense of belonging 
that everyone wants from a human perspective is key. So, you know, we can try to be inclusive, but are people getting this sense of belonging? And you know, that's what we need to work towards is, is helping fe- people feel that they belong, not so much in a company, although that's part of it. You know, you've got your corporate culture, your company community, and hopefully people are making friends within the company. But it's, you know, can the company help the individual feel that they belong in the world almost? And that's the human aspect that I think a company can offer to their colleagues. And in turn, that can only be a good thing for their the business itself. I really agree with all of that. And especially when people have been detached from other humans for such an extended period of time. And speaking about that, Hong Kong is in the news at the moment. And obviously, you're going through a wave and a cycle. Just bring us through what life is like in Hong Kong at the moment. Okay, so it's going through a really difficult time at the moment. The healthcare system's actually on the brink of collapse. The hospitals are all overwhelmed. And as you may know, Hong Kong has a zero COVID policy where they've tried to keep COVID infection rates down to zero. And that's worked for the large part of two years until very recently with Omicron. And that's just spread faster than anyone's expected. So it's been very tough for healthcare workers, for families, for everyone, really, you know, everyone trying to uh, do the best they can. In Hong Kong, our living spaces are much smaller. So, you know, families with much smaller homes, you imagine people working from home all from the same room. You have two kids and two parents all on Zoom trying to get their stuff done. It's very uh, wearing. So, um, but the government is changing their policies, you know, seemingly every day reacting to this. So hopefully they'll find the right ground soon. Yeah, it it hasn't been easy. Yeah, And, and things are very different in Ireland, I think at the moment is it is it pretty much back to normal it's pretty much back to normal as we record this we're hoping that uh, the masks will be taken from you know settings like supermarkets is what we're hearing again omicron was quite widespread and most people i think uh, got some form of covid in the last number of months uh, maybe for a second time or a first time but uh, i think it's been quite light so you know, thankfully, there haven't been too many deaths as a result of, of same. But um, I think like everything, we're going to have to learn to live with this as we move forward. And it hasn't been easy for people, as you say, in the healthcare settings and uh, and so on. But uh, hopefully we're coming we're coming out of it as we head towards maybe the spring and the summer series here. So fingers crossed that we, we don't have to go back into this back in the winter time again. I've heard that. Yeah, so a friend of mine told me that in the UK, or um, in the UK anyway, you know, if you haven't had COVID a few times already, it means that you don't have enough friends. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Interesting point. Yeah, yeah. Okay, finally, Stephen, some maybe quick fire questions for yourself. Really enjoyed the discussion. The book you'd most recommend? Okay, um, so I'm actually halfway through this one at the moment. It's called Making Numbers Count by Chip Heath. And it's about how to convey numbers so that they actually are comprehensible for the human mind. Because normally when we talk about a million, a billion, or, you know, uh, large numbers or extremely small numbers, they become meaningless. It just means lots. But how can we communicate those numbers and put it into perspective and get people to act on them 
you know, I found that absolutely uh, fascinating. So that that's that's one that I would recommend. Great. And uh, do you listen to podcasts, or would you recommend any particular one? I do. There's a podcast by Steve Levitt, who's a co-author of the book Freakonomics. The the podcast is called People I Mostly Admire. It's very conversational, yeah, very personal, and there's something to learn from every episode. So I enjoy. I'd recommend that one. Oh, I look forward to listening to that. Best advice you've been given in your life to date? Okay, so the one that jumps out when you ask that question is assume good intentions. And, um, you know, if we assume good intentions in those we interact with, the mindset is the outcome is usually very positive. So that served me well. Great stuff. You talked about the podcast people I mostly admire. But my last question is, if you had to name one person that motivates and inspires you, who would that be and why? Well, I think I'd, I'd um, be in trouble because I wouldn't be able to name just one person. You know, I found that there's so many people for a variety of reasons that just do so many incredible things. And myself, I'm blessed with you know, my family, my business partners and whatnot, business partners and colleagues. And there's something to learn from everyone. I don't think I've ever met the person that I haven't been able to find a quality that I think, oh, right, I, I, I should do more of that. So I'm afraid I failed in that last question. <laughs> no problem. And I think it's a wise comment because uh, I talk about a personal boardroom. A friend of the business, Amanda Scott, wrote a book on the personal boardroom where she lists kind of 12 different types of people. There'll be a, a person who inspires you. There'll be a person who might challenge you. There'll be a person who might give you nerve at difficult times. And it's to surround ourselves with a great number of people who can support us rather than just that one guru or mentor, because they may transition and move on in, in life. I've enjoyed the discussion enormously and a couple of takeaways for me. Take advantage of your youth and that enthusiasm. And, and, and I think for all of us in our careers and businesses today, it's so important that we keep that motivation and enthusiasm up. And that's only a sign that you're doing great work. And the work that you're doing is having an impact uh, from not just a, a business perspective, but a societal one as well, which I think was another great point around societal purpose and stakeholder value. And I guess that sense of belonging that you mentioned there at the end, you know, I think that's the challenge for many organizations is to create that sense of belonging in a place, in a business, in, a, in an organization that you want to be a part of. You may not be there forever, but you'll always have that sense that you belong wherever you will go in the world. So thanks a million, Stephen, for coming on the podcast today. I enjoyed the discussion enormously and every best wish for the future in Hong Kong. Thank you so much, John. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for inviting me to take part on The Cord. Thanks for listening to The Cord today. We would really appreciate if you could follow, subscribe and share as we seek to grow our community of listeners. Speak again soon.